This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins Chapter 20 Those in front had spread the news before us. We found the servants in a state of panic. As we passed my lady's door, it was thrown open violently from the inner side. My mistress came out among us, with Mr. Franklin following, and trying vainly to compose her, quite beside herself with the horror of the thing. "'You are answerable for this,' she cried out, threatening the sergeant wildly with her hand. "'Gabriel, give that wretch his money and release me from the sight of him.' The sergeant was the only one among us who was fit to cope with her, being the only one among us who was in possession of himself. "'I am no more answerable for this distressing calamity, my lady, than you are,' he said. "'If, in half an hour from this, you still insist on my leaving the house, I will accept your ladyship's dismissal, but not your ladyship's money.' It was spoken very respectfully, but very firmly at the same time and it had its effect on my mistress as well as on me. She suffered Mr. Franklin to lead her back into the room. As the door closed on the two, the sergeant, looking about among the women-servants, in his observant way, noticed that while all the rest were merely frightened, Penelope was in tears. "'When your father has changed his wet clothes,' he said to her, "'come and speak to us in your father's room.' Before the half-hour was out, I had got my dry clothes on, and had lent Sergeant Cuff such change of dress as he required. Penelope came in to us to hear what the sergeant wanted with her. I don't think I ever felt what a good, dutiful daughter I had, so strongly as I felt it in that moment. I took her and sat her on my knee, and I prayed God to bless her. She hid her head on my bosom, and put her arms around my neck, and we waited a little while in silence. The poor dead girl must have been at the bottom of it, I think, with my daughter and with me. The sergeant went to the window and stood there looking out. I thought it right to thank him for considering us both in this way, and I did. People in high life have all the luxuries to themselves, among others the luxury of indulging their feelings, People in low life have no such privilege. Necessity, which spares our betters, has no pity on us. We learn to put our feelings back into ourselves, and to jog on with our duties as patiently as may be. I don't complain of this. I only notice it. Penelope and I were ready for the sergeant as soon as the sergeant was ready on his side. Asked if she knew what had led her fellow-servant to destroy herself, my daughter answered, as you will foresee, that it was for love of Mr. Franklin Blake. Asked next if she had mentioned this notion of hers to any other person, Penelope answered, I have not mentioned it for Rosanna's sake. I felt it necessary to add a word to this. I said, And for Mr. Franklin's sake, my dear, as well. If Rosanna has died for the love of him, 
it is not with his knowledge or by his fault. Let him leave the house today, if he does leave it, without the useless pain of knowing the truth. Sergeant Cuff said, quite right, and fell silent again, comparing Penelope's notion, as it seemed to me, with some other notion of his own, which he kept to himself. At the end of the half-hour, my mistress's bell rang. On my way to answer it, I met Mr. Franklin coming out of his aunt's sitting-room. He mentioned that her ladyship was ready to see Sergeant Cuff, in my presence as before, and he added that he himself wanted to say two words to the sergeant first. On our way back to my room, he stopped and looked at the railway timetable in the hall. "'Are you really going to leave us, sir?' I asked. "'Miss Rachel will surely come right again, if you only give her time.' "'She will come right again,' answered Mr. Franklin, "'when she hears that I have gone away, and that she will see me no more.' I thought he spoke in resentment of my young lady's treatment of him, but it was not so. My mistress has noticed from the time when the police first came into the house that the bare mention of him was enough to set Miss Rachel's temper in a flame. He had been too fond of his cousin to like to confess this to himself until the truth had been forced on him when she drove off to her aunt's. His eyes once opened in that cruel way of which you know. Mr. Franklin had taken his resolution, the one resolution which a man of any spirit could take, to leave the house. What he had to say to the sergeant was spoken in my presence. He described her ladyship as willing to acknowledge that she had spoken over hastily, and he asked if Sergeant Cuff would consent, in that case, to accept his fee, and to leave the matter of the diamond where the matter stood now. The sergeant answered, No, sir, my fee is paid me for doing my duty. I decline to take it until my duty is done. I don't understand you, says Mr. Franklin. I'll explain myself, sir, says the sergeant. When I came here, I undertook to throw the necessary light on the matter of the missing diamond. I am now ready and waiting to redeem my pledge. When I have stated the case to Lady Verinder, as the case now stands, and when I have told her plainly what course of action to take for the recovery of the moonstone, the responsibility will be off my shoulders. Let her ladyship decide, after that, whether she does or does not allow me to go on. I shall then have done what I undertook to do, and I'll take my fee. In those words, Sergeant Cuff reminded us that, even in the detective police, a man may have a reputation to lose. The view that he took was so plainly the right one that there was no more to be said. As I rose to conduct him to my lady's room, he asked if Mr. Franklin wished to be present. Mr. Franklin answered, not unless Lady Verinder desires it. He added in a whisper to me as I was following the sergeant out, I know what that man is going to say about Rachel, and I'm too fond of her to hear it and keep my temper. Leave me by myself. I left him miserable enough, leaning on the sill of my window with his face hidden in his hands, and Penelope peeping through the door, longing to comfort him. In Mr. Franklin's place, I should have called her in. When you are ill-used by one woman, there is great comfort in telling it to another, because, nine times out of ten, the other always takes your side. 
Perhaps, when my back was turned, he did call her in. In that case, it's only doing my daughter justice to declare that she would stick at nothing in the way of comforting Mr. Franklin Blake. In the meantime, Sergeant Cuff and I proceeded to my lady's room. At the last conference we had held with her, we had found her not over-willing to lift her eyes from the book that she had on the table. On this occasion there was a change for the better. She met the sergeant's eye with an eye that was as steady as his own. The family spirit showed itself in every line of her face, and I knew that Sergeant Cuff would meet his match when a woman like my mistress was strung up to hear the worst that he could say to her. End of chapter 20